welcome to the second season of our Triune Pod. We are still preparing you to praise. Join me, the Reverend Nick Comiskey, and the Reverend Bendy Hart for a conversation about low-key theology, lived experience, and often unrelated pop culture as we break down one of the Psalms. We hope it's an inspiring, maybe a bit irreverent, but mostly helpful way to get you ready for some God time. Welcome to our Triune Pod, where we talk about the Psalms. And to start, we're going to talk about movies. Ben, there's been a lot of like blockbuster TV think pieces between War of the Rings. What's it called? The Lord of the Rings show. And yeah, the Rings of Power. The Ring Rings of Power. Of power. Like that. And then House, House of Dragon. We're going yeah. zag- to zag. We're going to start talking about movies. Um, mm. Ben, do you know the app Letterboxd? I do not. Letterboxd? It's a... Um, it's like a it's kind of like a social media app that is for like people like movie lovers, and so it, you like record what movies you watch and you can rate them, and it's very social. You follow different people and you oh, compile. That's really cool. It's great. Yeah, you should definitely you should definitely do it. Uh, so I'm looking at my letterbox right now over the last I don't know month or two, and I have been watching. I think I've watched like 18 movies over the last six weeks, which I don't know. Ooh, not a ton, but. Uh, feels like a decent amount to me do you so want to I, give us your like top picks or your yeah okay let me do it let me do my top my top picks so these are all movies i've never seen before either um i think the best one was probably the thing john carpenter movie Ooh, have you seen that a long time ago yeah i, I need a refresher i got to see it in theaters actually which was super fun um was awesome. this kind of like a you know 30 year anniversary thing or something yeah, like that yeah exactly okay. Um, and uh, it was at the Alamo. Have we talked about RRR? Uh, no, we have not. And I've not finished it because what it's like four hours. Yeah, it's like three hours long. Yeah, that was probably my favorite movie. That's been my favorite movie of the year so far. Wow. And and listeners, you can watch it on Netflix. It's um, I think it's Korean, maybe. No, it's Tollywood, which is like South India Bollywood. Oh, okay. And I guess if you're in the know so wrong. about Indian politics, there's it's, there's kind of like a MAGA reading of it that feels pretty credible, uh, like within India itself, like, like Hindu Indian oh, okay. identity um, that's kind of fabricated. But who cares? As like a non-Indian person just watching the movie, I'm like, this is this is like the best possible version of a Marvel movie. That's like my take. It's super sincere. It's super outlandish. It's incredibly fun and entertaining. And it just, I wanted it to go on forever. I mean, it was three hours and I'm like, I could do four more hours of this. Like, it was awesome. Not so in one first like but... hour I watched, first hour, hour and a half, this one guy was just, I mean, just beating up everyone. Oh, yeah. And, but oh, it yeah. was like, I don't, it was like, obviously over the top. But way less over the top than a lot of things I've watched that you're like kind of really rise at. It totally. was super entertaining, super totally. fun. I got to finish that. Well, it's like they're in on the joke, but they don't tell you that they're in on the joke. You know, like a lot of like Marvel movies now, there's so much like kind of winking at the audience where this is like objectively ridiculous. Like there's a scene, like one of the climactic battle scenes is one of the protagonists drives a semi truck into the british compound takes place in india in 1920 so like it's all with the throwing away of colonial oppressors drives into this courtyard of an indian fort 
And in the semi truck are a bunch of wild animals that he's collected. So he like jumps out and there's like tigers and wolves and leopards and like just falling up. It's amazing, but they don't wink at the audience. Like they take it seriously. Even if they know that they're not, it's so fun, dude. It's yeah. I could not recommend doing it. that right after this. Yeah. <laughs> skip, skip your evening meeting and just crush RRR. <laughs> you will not, you will not yeah. regret it. Well, I thought we were going to talk about a couple, but maybe that's all we need. RRR. Everyone watch the it only movie you need to watch is RRR in my, in my humble opinion. All right. Um, we are going to talk about Psalm 14, very famous Psalm because of its quotation in Romans chapter three. Uh, and it goes like this. A fool has said in his heart, there is no God. All are corrupt and commit ad- abominable acts. There is none who does any good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon us all to see if there is any who is wise, if there is one who seeks after God. Everyone is proved faithless. All alike have turned bad. There is none who does good. No, not one. Have they no knowledge? All those evildoers who eat up my people like bread and do not call upon the Lord? See how they tremble with fear, because God is in the company of the righteous. Their aim is to confound the plans of the afflicted, but the Lord is their refuge. Oh, that Israel's deliverance would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, Jacob will rejoice and Israel be glad. All right. Well, I think let's just start right at the beginning. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I come to passages like this, and I think the psalmist is talking about contemporary reasoned atheism. But obviously, the psalmist isn't talking about that. You don't have like that many atheists running around. What I think is actually more interesting and more compelling and a little bit of a, I guess I feel convicted, is that the psalmist seems to be saying that we show that we don't believe in God by what we do, or by our lack of faithfulness, by our corruption, our abominable acts, the fact that we so often don't do good. I think of, for me, whenever I cut corners, which I do on the regular, um, in my mind, I'm thinking, no one sees this. Um, But I also believe that God sees this. But in that moment, I'm like, ah, you know, God doesn't really see this. Uh, So, I mean, I'm still not from a commentary, but I thought that was a pretty good, like, I mean, this is, this is addressed to everyone. So it's it's not necessarily like I'm saying there is no God. It's like all of Israel is saying there is no God through their lack of faithfulness. And yeah, everyone has proved faithless. Why don't we, we stop there? Because I feel like there's a lot of places we can go in the next couple of verses, but anything you want to add to that or jump off on that? I really enjoyed studying this Psalm uh, or reflecting on this Psalm. And, and this isn't always like a fruitful way to understand a text, frankly, well, at least in my view, but I do, I did enjoy studying the Psalm kind of on its own terms and not immediately jumping to how it's utilized in the new Testament or how you might map it onto questions and doubts and confusions that people have today, but trying to just understand it on its own terms as much as it's possible. And yeah, the, the notion that I think it's Ellen Cherry who draws this distinction between like philosophical atheism and biblical atheism. Mm -hmm. And I think what she's trying to say is like philosophical atheism, as we understand it now, that has to do with like the irrationality of miracles and like not being able to find heaven in the sky and like all those problems that popped up in the middle ages. Like that's not really something that the biblical authors are interested in or have ever dealt with. And what, so what they're talking about, is not so much 
philosophical atheism, but like moral skepticism, like, yeah, I'm sure God is out there or gods are out there somewhere. But what really matters is that I can kind of do what I want with impunity. And so that's the practical atheism that I think is in view here. It's not this, I've examined the evidence, I've read through the classical proofs, you know, the unmoved mover or efficient causality or whatever argument you would make for the existence of God philosophically. It's more like, look, I can kind of do what I want and it doesn't seem to matter. And that's like a biblical atheism that is as evident in religious communities as it is in secular New York City, you know, where you used to live. Like, I think it, it kind of cuts, it's like the Scholes and Itzen thing, like it cuts every human heart. It's not good or bad. It's like every person in some way or another is a functional or practical atheist. Like they act as if God doesn't exist. And that's probably more what's on view here than like your metaphysical commitments you know what i'm saying totally yeah i think um right after there is no god there is this statement there is no one doing good which seems to interpret what the psalmist means when the fool says in his heart there is no god um yeah yeah i mean so anything else you kind of want to pick up on there i mean the the evildoers consume my people but they're also so on one level it's like everyone's doing bad things everyone's faith faithless but then there's also seems to be this is addressed to a faithful remnant or yeah i don't i actually didn't know what to do with that i mean maybe that's just a tension that's let go in this what did well, you think of that well let's 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 hold for a second on the like kind of universal critique of human potential in uh, verse one um, and, and verse three. I saw the dude, I saw this tweet earlier today and I tried to find it so I could quote it well on this pod and I could not. I wasted a lot of time trying to find it. But um, it was what, what the tweet said. I don't even remember who said it, but it was something to the effect. And I think it was maybe reflecting on the tragic situation that's happening in Jackson, Mississippi right now, or maybe somewhere else in the world. But basically it was like something to the effect of like 500 years of you know, the development of human rights and all the ways that we congratulate ourselves on being decent, moral, good people, like evaporates within six hours if you lose power, <laughs> you know? And like what the the point of that, the connection there is like, it's, I, I can imagine, and I see myself as like, this is kind of dramatic. Like all are corrupt and commit abominable acts. Like no one does good. That seems empirically false. But if you imagine a world where a lot of the safeguards and comforts that restrain perhaps some of our most base impulses just disappeared, like if we just lost power for a week, what kinds of things would people start doing to themselves and each other? I think you would Lord see the flies all over. Again. You would see the strong praying upon the weak, eating up the poor like bread. You probably would. And if, and if I was, and I might be one of them. So totally. I just think there's a way in which we perhaps, because we have made such amazing, almost unimaginable advances in elevating our standard of living in a material way, people in like worlds that we live in, I think we sometimes delude ourselves into thinking like, our moral improvement and decency has, is correlated to our technological <laughs> improvement. Does that make sense? And I think that the psalmist maybe helped me remember like, oh yeah, just imagine, imagining those early, early, early days of COVID where we're just like hoarding toilet paper and we're in this like zero sum game for 
cups of noodles at the grocery store because we don't know what's going to happen. You know, I just think, yeah, maybe they're actually, this psalm is saying something that actually is true about the human experience. We just, it's easy for us to ignore it because of our material affluence. Yeah, I just spent a few minutes on Twitter uh, next time you get a chance and you might just catch it, especially yeah. if something crazy happens. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. And there is, I mean, I think what was also kind of convicting for me is um, this is definitely, there's a a notion of the oppressors and the oppressed. And as you said earlier, push comes to shove. I am on the side of the oppressor. I cannot pretend like I'm taking all these stands on behalf of the oppressed. Um I mean, is now the point where we, you know, talk about how Romans three, St. Paul talks about. Yeah. I, this I really didn't spend a lot of time thinking about that. So I don't, so I would love for you to just, you know, put on your, your apron and cook. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I mean, he, he quotes this song from the Greek, which is interesting. And, and, you know, it just says all have sinned, but those who believe in Jesus Christ are justified by, by grace. And I think, mm. Uh, we kind of see that happening here. We 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 see all have sinned, and yet there is this kind of lowly remnant or righteous. And I I, th- I think there is uh, Saint Paul is kind of echoing that that tension by saying, "All of you are sinners, but those who believe are justified. Those who believe will see the deliverance come out of Zion." Um, and on and, and verse seven, it doesn't seem to be just directed toward the those being oppressed. It's toward all, toward oppressed and oppressor. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know what we're supposed to say about that other than I think well, St. Paul is, is doing a fine job. But yeah, uh, yeah, as I you mean, were saying earlier, this on the surface, this is kind of talking about something different. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, it is interesting that this psalm is addressed to the people of God, um, obviously, and, you know, Zion. And, and there is this assumption, I, I suppose, that these are people who um, possess the law, you know, and, and there's, you know, what, so one of the things you could read this Psalm is saying is like, yeah, the law is holy, just, and good. And maybe, you know, to quote St. Paul in Romans one, there is in our conscience, a reflection of the law, whether it's, external possession of it as a religious artifact or as a more kind of experiential written in, you know, in our consciences, regardless of how you know it, or even how specifically, you know, it knowing it does not mean doing it because the bearers of the law say in their heart, there is no God. Um, And I think this Psalm is a reminder that the Bible is painfully exhaustively realistic about the human potential to squander whatever knowledge of the good they might possess, whether by virtue of their religious commitments or by virtue of them being, being human beings. Um, and so, you know, St. Paul in, in Romans three, I'm, I just pulled it up now, you know, he says, we have made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin as it is written. There is no one righteous, not even one. And then he quotes a portion of the psalm. So I think what St. Paul is doing there is, is saying, you know, in a more of an apocalyptic sense, that this psalm bears witness to the imprisonment of all humankind under the power of sin and the capacity to liberate ourselves from it um, 
transcends our own agency. You know, like it is a, it is a locked door <laughs> and yeah. we do not possess the key. And I would love to think that I've made some progress in this or that the church has, and I don't want to be too hard on it. I mean, what's more annoying than self-righteous Twitter or tw- sorry, self-righteous tweet. But um, yeah, I couldn't help but thinking the way we talk about church, the way we talk about uh, just living in society today. And, and so often it's uh, yeah, well, we just, we just, this is the way things are. We have to do things this way. And then you get kind of caught up in the same rat race as for everyone else. And I'm not saying this to to condemn anyone. Like, I mean, that, that stuff is so hard, but reading this Psalm made me want to take a risk and to, in Bonhoeffer's word, throw the spoke in the wheel. Um, if I realize I'm getting all kind of caught up in the, and the bad thing is that I don't want to be a part of. I don't know if mm-hmm. that really makes sense. It but, does. Yeah, um, that's, that's a... not necessarily as like some like law. Like I, I feel terrible about myself, but more just every once in a while that. All right. Harvard Business School says this, that the other thing. And a lot of that is very good, very helpful. Uh, but at times, just because it's always been done this way or has to be done this way to be successful doesn't mean we got to do it that way. Amen. Amen. My brother, my brother in Christ. (laughs) All right. Well, let's, let's read it. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. All are corrupt and commit abominable acts. There is no one who does any good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon us all to see if there is any who is wise. If there is one who seeks after God, everyone has proved faithless. All alike have turned bad. There is none who does good. No, not one. Have they no knowledge, all those evildoers who eat up my people like bread and do not call upon the Lord? See how they tremble with fear because God is in the company of the righteous. Their aim is to confound the plans of the afflicted, but the Lord is their refuge. Oh, that Israel's deliverance would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, Jacob will rejoice and Israel be glad. How about that episode of Our Trying Pod? Now that you've been prepped for praise, won't you do us a solid and subscribe and review? We promise to keep the outlandish illustrations coming. So be sure to join us for another episode of your absolute favorite podcast. <laughs>